Today on the show, call your dad, you're in a cult, the Church of Saros. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Anna. And I'm Marnie. This season, we will be exploring the land of Fodlin while we dig into the lore of Fire Emblem, Three Houses. Woo! Yes, I'm so excited for this. (laughs) Me too. I love this game. Yes, we have been talking about this game over text message incessantly for months now. (laughs) Yes, um, so I... The thing that I like about this game, too, is that there are a variety of paths that you can take. And now I I think I've taken three of the four. So I feel ready to talk about this lore. I've only taken one. And if I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I'll ever be able to take another path playing this game because I was so in love with my children immediately when I started playing. (laughs) I took the Blue Lion Houses, for those who are familiar, um, and fell in love with every single person in my house and wanted to marry all of them. <laughs> Especially Sylvain, though. I mean, come on. That's obviously who I ended up with. I'm such a sucker. <laughs> For me, when I played Blue, it was really hard to decide between Dimitri and Sylvain because, uh, you know me, I need to be a fixer. I fix people and Dimitri was so <laughs> damaged. I just had to get him back to normal. Um, he and, needs you. Know, we you. fell in love that way. He needed me. He needed me. <laughs> But, you know, Edelgard needed me, too, and we walked together when I played with her. So it's it's tough. It's tough. I I would I hope that through these conversations I can fall in love with all of the other amazing characters from all of the houses. But we'll see. I I love my blue lions. I don't know if I'll ever be able to, <laughs> to turn my back on them. If I play again, I might just play blue lions again. But <laughs> that's part of the reason why I'm so excited to be able to talk about this. And have to explore all of all the different aspects of this game because there is so much to it. Like, when I first started playing this game, I was talking to somebody else who had played it. And I brought up something that I thought was, like, such a core fact to it. Like, this relationship between t- two of other characters that I knew about. And they were like, I finished the game and I didn't know that. Like, had no idea that this thing that I thought must be a core aspect to every single storyline... They had never even heard about. They had no idea. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about this game, that, like, not only are there all these different storylines, but the storylines are so, so detailed for every single one and different, but they all fit together in this, like, really cool way. And so I'm very excited to talk about that. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, because even if you have played this game, there may still be spoilers that we talk about. So this is your official spoiler warning. Um, But we hope that, you know, if you haven't played this game, that this gets you excited to play it. And honestly, some of the spoilers are more fun to know anyways. You you won't always be able to get every single detail. Even if we play the same path, there are details that one person might pick up that someone else doesn't. So hopefully this is just a a fun way to pick up all those little nuggets that you might have missed in the land of Fodlin. Yeah. So let's talk about what the land of Fodlin is. So... Fodlin is an area of land, and basically a long, long time ago, when the Empire was getting together, 
this lady named Saros came over and she was like, hey, I have awesome powers. I'm going to give you some powers and we're going to make this land an awesome place. And um, that's kind of around the same time Empire, the Empire started and the Church of Saros started. And then down the line, the kingdom separated from the empire um, and then kind of formed their own little thing. And then later down the line, the alliance separated from the kingdom. And so now we have these three different areas of Fodlan. We have the empire and we have the kingdom and we have the alliance. And children from all these parts of Fodlan come to Garrick Mock Monastery to learn how to become a knight, a magician, a missionary. I <laughs> They learn magic and weaponry and find love, maybe. Yeah, they also learn how to cook. <laughs> yeah. So basically, imagine you like grow up in a, this country that only has one religion called the Church of Saros. And when you come of age, which I don't actually know what that is. Maybe it's like 11, like in Pokemon. I'm not sure. You just send your kid to this monastery. It's Harry Potter too, right? 11 is the age oh, yeah. for some reason. <laughs> yeah, 11 must be the age. Um Has to And be. So, so that's the setting that we're at. So why do we say that it's a cult? So the, the Church of Saros in this way becomes very integrated into each of these different parts of Fodlin in different ways. But it becomes sort of a political power in the same way it is a religious power. And so for us to understand how these three very different territories within Fodlin interact with one another and also interact with their own constituents, we have to understand their relationship to the Church of Saros and why they would do something like send all of their kids away, like all of their potential best knights away to this one place, the Garigmach Monastery, in the center of Fodlin. And so it really centers around this idea that the Church of Saros is uh, the place where people can receive their powers, I guess, when, when you're talking about sort of like the magicians and... Um, all the weapons that they learn and knights and finding love and becoming great chefs. <laughs> all dreams <laughs> go through the path of Garagmach Monastery for some reason. Um, and so so you're put into it at this very young age, as you said, probably 11. Who knows what age, actually? But I mean, come on, it's always 11. <laughs> if fantasy stories have taught me one thing. Um, and so at age 11, immediately you're put into sort of this uh, this school with a leader, a figurehead, named Rhea. Um, and she's the head of the Church of Saros. And so I actually went pretty much my whole game not fully understanding why she was so important to the church. I was like, she's a principal? She's also like a priest, kind of? But, Marty, I feel like you have a better handle on on what this is and how this came to be exactly. Yeah, so Rhea is this beautiful lady who is the archbishop. Um, super kind, uh, really cares about people, and is very passionate about the Church of Saros, um, very passionate about the goddess. And then she has this other dude who also has green hair like her named Sedith, and he's basically her closest advisor. And then Sedith has this younger sister named Flane, who also has green hair. And that may be important later. Who knows? <laughs> 
So they all look incredible. They all look like they're about to go to like a punk show. Yeah, <laughs> like this very cool anime, like bright green hair. You're like, wait, how do I get hair like that? <laughs> exactly. And so they kind of run the church. And then the church is broken up into different regions where, you know, similar to, I don't know, having bishops and in different parts of America who then report to cardinals, who then report to the Pope, sort of that kind of deal. Uh, disclaimer, Anna and I both went to Catholic school together for nine years, so we, we may be referencing Catholicism a bit here. Hopefully no one takes offense to our referencing this cult of Saros to Catholicism. Uh, but just, you know. What could possibly be similar there, Renny? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone in the history of ever has said that Catholicism is like a cult. So No, I... having people who, like, will fight for your religion as, like, knights who will, like, go kill other people for it so they'll also become part of your religion and having children start to learn, like, their entire education system while also having religion classes uh, doesn't sound, I mean, I don't know, not that, not that familiar. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, if you're referring to the Crusades, like, we learned in <laughs> Catholic school that that was just telling people about Catholicism real nice and stuff. <laughs> We're just spreading our religion. So this brings up a good point, though. Like, so in Catholic school, obviously, history rewrote itself. And yes. Um, we also see that in the Church of Saros, or uh, the Cult of Saros, if you want to call it that. So there's this old story about the Ten Elites, and they are basically like these heroes that were gifted power by the goddess, and then later they rebelled out of greed. And so then it was like, oh, they were heroes, but then they got greedy. So sad. Like, Remember to stay noble to the Church of Saros and not give in to greed, blah, 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 blah. But actually, a long time ago, and I, I should say, you know, this church has been around for like at least 100 years now. And so there's been enough time that people don't actually know these 10 elites anymore, personally. So whatever stories the church gives us, we're able to just take that for fact. So what really happened, and you learn this in some of the paths, is that the Ten Heroes were actually fighting against St. Saros. Remember that lady who started the Church of Saros and combined with the Empire to basically make Fodlan? They were not gifted power by the goddess. They actually slaughtered Saros's family. And Saros is has this extra power because she's this like crazy dragon lady and all of her family are these crazy dragon people that can turn into humans at their will. You, you should very explicitly explain what you mean by crazy dragon lady, like literal <laughs> dragon. She is a dragon. OK, so backing up, St. Saros is a dragon that can also turn into a human and... There's this whole family of dragon slash humans that can change between a dragon and a human. And that's why they have this special power. And humans basically figured out that if I get their blood, then I can have some of that fancy power. And that manifests itself in crests. So nobles and like people in Fodlan, humans in Fodlan have these crest bloodlines. And basically that goes back to those 10 elites who 
were rewritten as heroes, but actually stole dragon blood to get these special powers. And so they probably rewrote this because there are still people hanging out there with Cress, and they want these people with Cress to be followers of the church to fight for the church and use that special power for the church and not against the church. So if like thinking about me, like if I found out my great great grandfather was fighting against the church, that might make me have mixed feelings about the church. Like it's much easier if I'm like, oh my great great grandfather was a hero and it was a bummer, but he like was greedy and kind of fell because of that. But to be like my great-great-grandfather was fighting against Saros because he thought that she was bad. That puts a seed of doubt in my mind about Saros. So the church rewrote this story to basically be like, hey, the ten heroes are great. You're great. We all love the church. Use your power for us. And, I mean, it's interesting also that they'd frame it in that way because we'll talk about this later, but to why this is not just a religion but a cult it's that idea that like we're going to make you fear stepping out of line right we're going to make you fear the idea that if you get greedy this is what could happen to you and so that they would build that into the core story of how they were created i think is just another element of this like let's keep people in line Let's keep people in the church. Let's have them want to fight for us and believe in this greater cause, whatever that is. Even if the greater cause or the story of how it came to be is a lie, um, we're going to frame that in the way that will make them most likely to to stay in step with us. And I think that, I mean, it's quite brilliant, but it's certainly like a manipulation tactic on their end. Oh, for sure. And rewriting history is not where they, they stop. They control information in multiple ways. So there are certain books that are banned. So in um, the Yellow Deer Path, like Claude is catching on to this and he like finds some picture of um, something and he brings it to Sedith and Sedith is like, where'd you find that? Because I think Sedith is king of banning books or something. I don't know what Rhea pointed him <laughs> as. What a title to put on your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> King, comma, book banning at the Church of Saros. A hundred years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> and uh, they're also banning technology. As you find out, there are these other humans who slither in the dark and they have some like sweet ass technology. They also listen to dubstep, which I don't hear in any other part of Fodlin. So I don't know. Maybe Saros has something against techno dubstep music. <laughs> I don't know. The church choir music, I must say, there's like an option when you're at Garrick Mock, you can choose um, in addition to cooking with the with the children who you teach at Garrick Mock. You also um, can sing choir songs with them. They're not great. Some of them kind of slap, though. We might just have different tastes. Rhea sings that one song that's like, my mother used to sing this song to me. And she's like petting your hair. And you're like, this is not weird at all. Um, and she's like, <laughs> when time grows. Still, like, it's a nice lullaby, right? Like, I would sing that to my children. I mean, it fits the Rhea vibe. She does have this very sort of, like, ethereal... I don't know. I don't know if it's the green hair that throws me off or what, but she also has these like long flowing gowns, like a, a crown. She's very much 
made herself the figurehead of the church in a very, I don't know, very impactful way, I think. And I mean, I guess when you have the powers that she has, it comes also with a certain level of confidence. But it's really interesting to watch her choose to wield that, specifically at Garrig Mach Monastery. Like, that is where she has chosen her seat of power to be. And I think it's an interesting choice on her part um, to say that, like, where she could make the most influence is on these children, essentially. Like, she's going to make her influence on the children who will one day become the knights, not, like, walking into the Empire or somewhere else in Fodlin and trying to push some sort of political power. She just does it at this young age. I think that's really interesting um, that that's where she's chosen. Yeah, I mean, basically, you are brought up in this cult, and at a young age, you go to be with a cult leader who is this caring and compassionate and warm, lovely human who sings lullabies to you and pets your hair. She has this presence, I guess, you know, and as a young person, it's pretty easy to get swept into that and be like, oh, yeah, this is totally who I'm fighting for, especially if you're brought up that way. So. Rhea is St. Saros. Yeah, she is the, yeah, yeah, she is the oldest fuck dragon lady. And when you get her real mad, she may turn into a dragon. So like we were saying, she like seems so chill, kind, compassionate. But if you get on her bad side, she will turn on you. Um, anyone who questions her is considered an enemy. And this is where I'm like, okay, that is some cult shit right there. In one point of the game, I think it's like the Northern Church or something, they decide that she's um, a heretic. Is that the word? Yes, I believe that is the word. They also use apostate. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but she's that too. And she, like, sends you out to go and deal with this. And then you bring some of them back and she's like, yeah, I'm going to execute you for speaking out against me. Which is, I mean, not not ideal, right, for a peaceful nation. Part of me wonders why Rhea doesn't just choose to be transparent in those kinds of moments, right? Like, she has built this entire sort of lie about how the church was founded and who she is and her role in that. And while I understand why she would reframe the narrative at the beginning, when you say like she runs into these moments where people are like, you, you've you become such a figurehead that you just want people to worship you, not the goddess. And then she's implying that she is the goddess. Part of me wonders, like, why not just say it? Like, it makes sense that people would be upset about the followers of the church worshiping a human instead of worshiping the god, right? It'd be like if I said that I I followed the pope above anyone else rather than Jesus, right? If I were part of the Catholic Church still. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not? You're not anyone? I didn't didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell my mom. Um, Okay, I won't. All of that to say, you know, like, you see the parallels, right, and how that would be an issue. Part of me wonders why she doesn't just say it, right? Like, why not just tell people who she is? Why not just, like, become her dragon self and, like... Let the dragon shine, honey. Yes. (laughs) Don't hide your inner self, Rhea. Be who you are. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh, I guess, like, I... 
wonder if people would turn on her if that's what she's worried about. <laughs> Just like, you don't believe me? Fuck you. I'm a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> like, think about, like, I guess the, the people who slither or whatever, the, sl- the Slytherins, um, I guess. I guess that, like, if if their whole thing is that they don't want to be ruled by dragons, they think humans should rule, then that does, I mean, it puts a price on her head, right? Because she has dragon blood, and that gives her powers, and then if people killed her for her blood, then they would get her powers. And so I see how it's a precarious situation, for sure, but it's this cult's leadership and this sort of, you know, very not transparent, uh, secretive way of running things. But I think that there is a cost there to doing it on top of the fact that, you know, and then Edelgard decides to start an all-out war. So there's that, too. (laughs) Yeah. Something that we haven't talked about with Rhea slash Saros quite yet is that, you know, back when the humans killed, like, her family, the dragon family, they also killed... The goddess who is Sothis. And Sothis lives in your brain. You see her right from the very start. She's this green haired, she looks like a child, and she talks to you inside your head sometimes. And so, kind of what you find out in some of the paths is that you have the heart of Sothis inside you. And why you have the heart of Sothis inside you is because. Rhea wanted her mom back so badly that she tested on humans putting a crest stone, like replacing their heart with a crest stone to see if she could get her mom back. Let that sink in for a second because she failed many times. I think like I don't it's (laughs) it's more than 10. Like so your mom actually was one of these experiments and your mom is dying in childbirth. And your mom is like, the baby needs to live. And Rhea's like, okay, my sweet darling mother person, that's not my mother. I will make the baby live. And so you lived childbirth because Rhea took the crest stone that she had put in your mom's chest and puts it in your chest. So there are multiple times throughout the story where your dad, Gerald, mentions how weird of a baby you were. He's like... You didn't cry ever. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I thought something was wrong with you. But I mean, here you are. Well, and he also says that you don't have a heartbeat. He said, like, when you didn't cry, I brought you to a doctor. And the doctor said you were totally fine, except for that you didn't have a heartbeat. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. (laughs) I guess, you know, the, the church has, like, ban certain books maybe they don't know that a heartbeat is necessary to live i don't know <laughs> they're so behind on their like entire medical <laughs> like abilities that it's like well we're not sure <laughs> man i don't know she looks fine to me <laughs> one of the questions i have is is the crest stone so the crest comes from the dragon blood is the crest stone like also part of the dragon or something that's the dragon's heart that's the dragon's heart apparently dragons don't have heartbeats either because they have stones (laughs) for hearts 
So Raya like scribbles into all of the medical journals. <laughs> like, it's fine if there's no heart. <laughs> they are human. Don't yeah. question them. Well, I'm sure Raya doesn't have a heartbeat either then. <laughs> but Fodlin people are just too dumb. They're just like, mm, <laughs> some humans just don't have a heartbeat. It's just how it is. Just a handful. <laughs> Specifically ones with green hair. It's so weird. <laughs> Very odd. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess dragons have green hair. It's kind of a theme that anyone with green hair is a dragon. So Rhea knows. She figures out that you're the baby that left Garrig Mock Monastery a long time ago with, with your dad. And Anna will talk about that more. Um, and so that's why when you come to Garrig Mock, she's like, why don't you just be a professor? And people are kind of like, why are you a professor? No one has ever heard from you. You literally were fighting people for money like two days ago. And now you're teaching us like, what is up with this? And it's because Ray is like, oh, shit, that's my mom. I'm going to make my mom a teacher. Eventually, you you fuse with Sothis when you like go into the very dark, dark place, dark chamber that the Slytherins put you in. And Sothis is like, we have to fuse our souls so that I can get you out of this dark chamber. And Rhea's like, holy shit, it actually worked. You have green hair now. You are definitely my mom. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> That's all it takes. Again, no one in all of Fodlin has boxed hair dye. It's not possible. <laughs> they, the church bans technology such as hair dye. <laughs> No overtone for the for the Church of Sarah's followers. So, but yeah, if you join Edelgard side, then and you attack Rhea eventually, Rhea's like, "You aren't my mom. You killed my mom." So, like, I don't know. Rhea just believes what she wants to believe, and if you don't believe it, then you're against her. And thus, a cult is formed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you don't believe it, then you're against her. <laughs> If you're not with me, then you're my enemy, I believe, as the, the great Anakin Skywalker once said. <laughs> like, if if those are the only options, then a cult indeed, right? I think that, and so we see this throughout the story, but even when you just start with the idea of Garrick Mock, as we talked about, you're like this young kid, you know, bushy-tailed, whatever, bright-eyed, and you're here to learn to become... Uh, a knight or a magician or a chef and, or a farmer. I don't know. There's a garden, too. And whatever you want to be, you can be it at, at Garagamak Monastery. That's well, but my, not really, though. Pitch. Because if you have a crest, then you have to make crest babies. So True. If you have a crest, you have to make crest babies. Right. And so all of this to say, even from the very beginning when you get to Garagamak Monastery, at least as Byleth, you start to be tested by Rhea. There are all these moments where they'll kind of like ask you seemingly innocuous questions about what you think about something that's going on. But the undertone of all of those questions is that are you with me or are you against me? Right. And so from the very beginning, you arrive at this monastery, you are indoctrinated to follow sort of all of the teachings of the church, because in order to become a knight, which I think a, a lot of we joke about, like all the different things you could try to want to be 
<laughs> but when it comes down to it, most of them want to be knights. There's a there's a large element to this that is going on fights for the church and going and training and being in like actual physical fights against mercenaries and all of these people around Garrick Mock Monastery. And the highest form of that is being part of the Knights of Saros. So the church has its own set of knights, its own set of fighters to go out into Fodlin and do what whatever their will is. And so they are not just a religious force, but they're also a military force. And they have the strongest military because all of these these crest wielders who can use these very special weapons called heroes relics, which comes back to what Marnie was talking about with the heroes at the beginning who fought Saros. They have all these special weapons, and those weapons can only be wielded by the people with those crests, right? They, like, match up in some way? Yeah. I mean, anyone with a crest can use a hero's relic, but it has a special power if you share the crest of that hero's relic. And the hero's relics are actually just dragon bones. Like, the sword of the creator is Sothis's spine, and you can wield it because you have Sothis's crest stone in your body. Everything is dragons. <laughs> it's all dragons. It's it's just dragons. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. We interrupt this podcast with a message from a different podcast. Hello, my name is Lawrence, a producer and host here on Lore Party, and I'm here to talk to you about our Last of Us 2 series. With humanity's last chance at a cure now seemingly gone, the world continues down its dark path. But nevertheless, life moves on, and now adult Ellie must confront the ghost of Joel's past, all while dodging religious cults, militant revolutionaries, and her own inner demons. Tune in to our Last of Us series as my co-host Leo and I discuss the ultimate moral questions the game posits, the characters caught in this conflict, and AHA's hit single, Take On Me. Just hop on over to our Lore Party feed and search The Last of Us 2. Well, that's enough from me. Back to your show. I think that this sort of very much like tribal aspect that the church tries to breed um, with like you're either part of the church, you're part of Fodlin and tying it to sort of like patriotism almost and making them one and the same makes it an even stronger attempt at this sort of cult indoctrination um, because they really want it to be part of who you are at your core, right? Like your identity is tied to the church. And this idea that some people don't fall into that because they came from somewhere else or they've fought with one of the one of the lands that follows the church, I think it is incredibly problematic. It's also certainly racist and xenophobic, but we'll get to that in maybe another episode. We're looking at you, Ingrid. We're looking at <laughs> Ingrid you, is Ingrid. So, oh, my God, Ingrid. Uh, she has this idea of knighthood as core to who she is because also the person who she was supposed to marry was a knight and it's very involved he was the brother of another one of her classmates 
there's a lot to it, but I think that at her core, they're tying knighthood and the church, not just to her upbringing, but who she is, her love life, who she's supposed to be, how she's supposed to raise a family. It's all supposed to be done in the light of, you know, the church and being a knight and working for the kingdom. And I think that it's another layer of the cult-like nature of the church to say that everyone who you are involved with is in this core. You don't have people on the outside of it. Like everyone who is closest to you, who's most important to you, all believes this as well. And so this becomes part of, you know, it, it ties all of her emotional bonds back to to the church and her like sense of duty that she has to becoming a knight. Well, well, but with Ingrid, part of it is she can't become a knight because she's a noble who needs to marry and make crest babies. And so like that's kind of why and maybe we'll talk about this in another episode, like she's kind of a feminist icon in that sense, if it weren't for the blatant racism again. But yeah, like she very much wants to go against the grain and become a knight, but realizes that she has to make crest babies. And that is her role in this society, which is pretty cultish. Like there are specific roles that you must play. Yeah. There's also an interesting conversation because even though she can't be a knight, she's obsessed with talking about being a knight, right? There's an interesting conversation. I don't know if you had this one with Ingrid where she's giving like a, a hypothetical situation where she's saying, If you were a knight and your leader told you to go to your hometown and murder everyone in the village, would you do it? Um, And sort of throughout the conversations as they go, she starts saying, like, essentially, of course I would. It's a hard thing to do, but I have to, as a knight, I have to follow what my leader tells me. She has these in her support conversations with Felix. And by the end of the support conversations, she has a very different perspective. I think Felix has a really interesting perspective on all of this, having seen firsthand and with his older brother dying as a knight, all of the bad that can come from it. Um, I think eventually kind of changes Ingrid's perspective a little bit away from this very narrow minded. I must follow orders. I must do whatever my superiors tell me into a a perspective that being a knight is more about following your own morals and doing what's best for the good of your people, not just the leader. But I do think it's problematic that at Garrick Mock, where one learns to become a knight, the idea is that the only job is to follow your superior, who, at the end of the day, is Rhea. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, does Rhea really want you to have a mind of your own? I don't think so. No, I do not think so. I mean, and and it's shown in the fact that, like, we talked about how hard it is to get in if you're an outsider, but it's also really hard to get out. Once you're in the church, you don't really have options to leave, right? Like, there's very few people who do. So, I mean, in your own story as Byleth, as sort of the main character of all of this, the only way you were able to get out of the church after... Rhea put this dragon heart inside of you um, while your mom was like dying in child labor and you almost died as well, is that your father, Gerald, pretended like there was a fire and ran away and said you died, essentially. Like the only way he thought he could get you out of the cult of the church was to pretend like you had died and run away. 
And, like, he was scared enough of what Rhea was doing that that was the only option for him, which is terrifying that the leader of the Knights of Saros doesn't even have enough power to push back against Rhea to say, this is what I want to do. I want to leave with my child. You know, he wasn't even trying to fight them. He was just trying to leave. And that wasn't going to be an option for him. And so leaving isn't an option for, you know, if not the leader of the Knights of Saros, who is it for? Like, and I think this brings us to Edelgard and how she ends up in this this war, this all-out fight against the church. Going back to you and the heart, too, I, I feel like it's worth mentioning that Gerald doesn't even know that you have the crest stone inside you. So he is afraid of Rhea, not even knowing that he's taking away the baby who has Sothis's heart. He's already afraid of her. So she instills fear in him. Anyway. Yeah, right. And that's just thinking that you're a normal child. That's just thinking that you are the child of, of him and his wife. I don't know if they yeah. were married. They were married. So very problematic. Edelgard not only chooses this all-out war eventually in, I believe, any of the paths you follow, but there's also a moment prior to her going into this all-out war where Rhea tells you to kill her. Rhea outright tells you to kill Edelgard, who at this time is still a child. Well, I think that's part of what makes this such a good game is that it's not clear what's right or wrong. You may be going down one path and it seems very clear that, you know, the flame emperor is evil and you find out it's Edelgard and maybe you are with the Black Eagles, and now you have to decide, do I continue on with Edelgard, who I have trained to be a, an awesome lady with an axe who's basically <laughs> a tank and can take unlimited amount of damage? Or do I really believe that, like, Rhea is this good person and I have no idea why why Edelgard would go against her? And, you know, when I went down Edelgard's path, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of shady stuff going on in the church. I didn't realize that because I think when you go through the blue lion path, it's very much like you don't get a lot of that. Like, it's like you were brought up in Fodlin, right? You don't really question it too much. I just think that being able to play with these gray areas and that there is no clear right or wrong is something that makes this game so interesting. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting t that you said that about, you know, the Blue Lion Path kind of feeling like you were brought up in Fodlin. I think that this game has a lot of interesting different ways that they try to put you in the shoes of all of these different characters and what they're going through and the decisions that they have to make. Because I think that, you know, there are times when <laughs> it pops up and you have to make a decision, you have to pick one or the other as Byleth. And I would just sit there and stare <laughs> because <laughs> I wasn't sure what was best for the kids I was trying to teach. I wasn't sure what was best for Fodlin. You know, you have your dad to think about, your family in that case. I think that it's really hard to figure it out sometimes. I'm telling you, don't get on Rhea's bad side. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. 
and check out our YouTube page for bonus videos and highlights. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.